You're listening to the Religion and Fiction Podcast. A podcast for people interested in the intersection of the sacred and story that offers insight, inspiration, and a bit of entertainment for the journey. I'm your host, Jeremy Bauma, a former pastor and theologian who writes stories under J.A. Bauma and believes that nobody should have to read bad religious fiction. Today is the first episode of the podcast, which is also week one in my new book club, exploring the epic adventure of C.S. Lewis's The Chronicles of Narnia, diving into chapters one through four of The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Hey, Religious Fiction readers, man, I'm so excited to get rolling on our adventure through The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe with our favorite cast of characters, Peter, Susan, Edmund, and Lucy. Don't know about you, but this has been a book that has been close to my own heart, something that I discovered back in fourth grade, and it has been one of those go-to books for comfort, for inspiration, for laughs, as well as adventure over the last uh, few decades since I first read it. It's a book that's uh, for kiddos and kiddos at heart, so I hope that you find that this is a useful exploration and a useful adventure for your own reading pleasure. As I mentioned, this is a book club I launched two years ago at the heart of the corona crazy in 2000. Figured that we needed a bit of inspiration and fantastical adventure after a long year being holed up in our houses and wearing masks and sanitizing our hands to death. And I thought that Uh, we should bring it back for a a similar reason at the end of a very crazy 2002. So some of my references are from a few years ago, but it's a pretty evergreen book club, and I hope you enjoy the discussion. Speaking of which, below the episode in the show notes, I have put a number of thoughts and some questions to get you thinking about the chapters as well as hopefully interacting with our fellow book club members and me. So when you listen to the episode, come back to the Substack page and leave your comments below if you feel comfortable. Without further ado, here is week one of the Religion and Fiction Book Club. Happy reading, religious fiction readers. Hey there, J.A. Bauma here, also Jeremy Bauma. I wanted to give you a big welcome to this first week in our virtual book club using C.S. Lewis's The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. I am so excited you've decided to kind of join in with this book club on the internet here at my website and uh, hoping that this will give you a bit of enchantment and inspiration for the close of a very crazy year. Uh, There's no agenda here. There's no secret uh, sell at the end. I I just thought that it would be a really cool opportunity to come together as uh, readers and fans of fiction, of fantasy, uh, of some of the more religious books that are out there, and uh, not only dive deep into the story, 
to hopefully be enchanted and inspired by the world that Lewis created, the fantastical world, because I don't know about you, but I, I sort of want to escape this world at the end of 2020 here. Uh, so we're looking forward to the enchanting story, but we also kind of want to dive deep into the more religious and Christian elements of his work. And so we're going to do that together. Uh, hope that you will join these next five weeks beginning today, ending at the end of 2020, and that you will read along, that you will comment along in the comments below, that will be open to answering some of the questions that I pose, and uh, really look forward to your perspective and you diving into this virtual book club with me beginning today. So thanks a lot. Grab your book and let's get started. All right. So it's a uh, fitting that we're doing this book club on the 70th anniversary of The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, which was, I think, in October was when it was first published 70 years ago as an author myself. Uh, the idea that my first book, Holy Shroud, would be uh, 70th anniversary, and I think it would be uh, 2088 <laughs> seems super cool, but also a little weird. Uh, but here we are with Lewis's The Chronicles of Narnia series and The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe celebrating the 70th anniversary. And for me, I first discovered this uh, amazing work in the fourth grade. Uh, my fourth grade teacher, Mr. Kuiper, still remember the name, introduced us to this world and we read it together in class. He read some chapters to us. We read it together as fourth graders, uh, as our reading assignment. And I just fell in love with the world. I didn't really grow up in a reading home. I don't remember my parents reading to me all that much, either, even though that we had books around us and my parents read. And so I really wasn't into reading. Uh, but when I was introduced to this Series and particularly the the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. I just began to fall in love with reading, and uh, this series introduced me to this wonderful world, not only of reading but also of the ideas of Narnia and this idea that there is this whole world adjacent to our own. Uh, you know, and I, I sort of remember as a, a fourth grader searching through my own uh, closet for the the world of Narnia through my sweaters and shirts hanging in the back feeling only like a hard you know uh drywall painted drywall wall instead of the 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 pine needles and the 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 snow that lucy did when she first entered through the back of her wardrobe um but it was you know it was this amazing world that i was able to enter into and uh the ideas that there's this world outside of our own just captivated me, which is one of the major themes that we'll discuss in a little bit. Um, but I wonder about your own relationship to the series and the Chronicles of Narnia, but particularly the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. When were you first introduced? Uh, what was that like to uh, come into the world of Narnia and meet Mr. Tumnus and uh, the the beavers and then the, the White Witch and Aslan himself? Uh, who are your favorite characters? Which one of the four did you identify with most of all? Uh, I think for me it was a little bit of Edmund. I was a, I was mostly a good boy, but there was this uh, mischievousness to be a, a little bit. And uh, some of the, the faults of Edmund were a little bit of my own at that age. Uh, 
and uh, and so even now reading through this, I can identify with him a bit in in his own tragic story, but also the redemption that comes on the other side because of uh, the grace of Aslan and his life and and all the things that he did for him. And, and to see his transformation for me uh, was fun to, to read again as I was preparing for this book club. So what about you? Why don't you comment below uh, with with your own relationship to this book what was when did you first read it what was that like and maybe one of the four characters is there one that you identify with most of all and why is that for me it was Edmund who was that for you now you probably if you were like me discovered this book as a child or maybe later as a child at heart uh, but you know there's something about these kinds of fantasies these fantasy stories that speak to children, right? And you know, it's no small surprise that the main protagonist of C.S. Lewis's book here was a child at first. It was Lucy, and then the other children, Edmund and Peter and Susan, come along, and and they're the heroes of the story, aren't they? And we find that this book opens with children, right? So, uh, chapter one, page one. Once there were four children whose names were Peter, Susan, Edmund, and Lucy. And the story is about something that happened to them when they were sent away from London during the war because of the air raids. So there you have it. Children open the story. They are the main heroes of the story. And this is kind of typical of our sort of well-beloved fantasy stories, isn't it? Uh, Harry Potter comes to mind as well. I didn't really read or get into Harry Potter until uh, I think it was the second year of my graduate studies. Uh, my wife, I think we were a year into marriage, introduced me to this wonderful world of Harry Potter when I was knee-deep into uh, Greek and Hebrew studies and I needed a break from my brain and dove into his own childhood story of Harry Potter and, and the rest of the gang. And of course, most of the other major fantasies involve children, right? They're the ones that discover this unseen world. Uh, they're sent out to quest into this world to sort of put it back to rights, uh, to put it back together again, and the redemption uh, and the recreation and the rescue that happens throughout this story involves children. Uh, in fact, you know, I think it's the youngest child, Lucy, right, who first discovers this portal into the fantastical world of Narnia. And then we read about the oldest children, Peter and Susan, who, who sort of basically brush her off as the silly little girl, right, before they then discover, oh, wow, maybe there's something to this world on the other side, this adjacent world to our own, Um but there you have it. At the beginning, you have these children, and then it's the youngest child who first discovers this world. Why do you suppose that is, that, that children are at the center of so many good versus evil fantasy stories? would love to hear your comments about that, because I think that this is a important part, not only of the Narnia Chronicles, but also most of the fantasies that we engage not only as children, but also as sort of children at heart, right? You know, for me, because this is a religion and fiction book club, right? I can't help but recall the teachings of Jesus 
on the value of children in the Gospel of Luke chapter 18. Uh, Listen to what he said, or, or the way that Luke describes this episode in the story of Jesus and his disciples. Uh, Luke says that Jesus called the children to him and said, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who does not or will not receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. So the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is God's movement to rescue and recreate the world anew through Jesus's life, death, and resurrection. It's his reign on earth that is entered into by faith. And elsewhere in the gospel of Mark, we see how this is described. Uh, Mark chapter 10 says, he said to them, let the children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. I'd love for us to stop for a minute and think about what it's like to be a child in this world, especially what it's like to receive the world as a child. Uh, you know, I have a three-year-old uh, little girl and a six-year-old little boy, and it's it's amazing to sort of live life as this 40-year-old now uh, through their own eyes and through their own experiences. When we uh, go outside in our backyard, we have a wetland, a little forest, or when we head out to the zoo or to the museum or any number of things in this world and uh, to see how they discover new animals or plants or uh, their excitement about their birthday or Christmas coming up and and their curiosity and their inquisitiveness about the world around them. It's so humbling, isn't it? When you uh, think about how a child receives the world, and when I think about how they receive the world, it's with curiosity, isn't it? It's being inquisitive, a little frightened, maybe a little scared, but also excited to explore and to discover, uh, to receive the world as it is on its on the face of it, right? There's no pretense, there's no expectations about how the world should be or how it should not be. Uh, whatever happens, they just roll with it. They receive it, right? They approach it with nothing to offer the world, but uh, in complete emptiness and humility and dependence. In other words, childlike faith is what's required to receive the world, right? And I think about uh, how we receive, or rather how Lucy receives Narnia, And in many ways, it's the same way, isn't it? With curiosity, this inquisitiveness, a little frightened, a little scared, but also excited to explore and discover, to receive Narnia as it is. It's like, oh, yeah, there's this world on the other side of a a wardrobe. Of course, why not? And there's snow, there's a a lamppost, there's a big forest of pine trees, right? And then Mr. Tumnus, the fawn, who's talking to her. Of course, why not? That's the way it is. She receives it on face value. She approaches it with nothing to offer. She's this child. She's however young she is. But there she goes, walking out into this world in complete emptiness, humility, dependence on what this world brings to her. In other words, a childlike faith is what's required, right? When she steps into this world of Narnia. And I love how this begins. And I just want to read a little bit here. Uh, page 8 
I don't know what the page is in your book, but uh, listen to what she encounters as she enters into this world. So she uh, steps into the wardrobe, and there she goes. She said, this must be a simply enormous wardrobe thought Lucy. Going still further in, she pushes the soft folds of the coats aside to make room for her. Then she noticed that there was something crunching under her feet. I wonder, is that more mothballs, she thought, stooping down to feel it with her hand. But instead of feeling the hard, smooth wood of the floor of the wardrobe, she felt something soft and powdery and extremely cold. This is very queer, she said, and she went on a step or two further. The next moment, she found that what was rubbing against her face and hands was no longer soft fur, but something hard and rough and even prickly. Why, it is just like branches of trees, exclaimed Lucy. And then she saw that there was a light ahead of her, not a few inches away where the back of the wardrobe ought to have been, but a long way off. Something cold and soft was falling on her. A moment later, she found that she was standing in the middle of a wood at nighttime with snow under her feet and snowflakes falling through the air. And then listen to this. Lucy felt a little frightened, but she felt very inquisitive and excited as well. She looked back over her shoulder and there between the dark trunk trees, she could still see the open doorway of the wardrobe and even catch a glimpse of the empty room from which she had set out. She had, of course, left the door open for she knew that it is a very silly thing to shut oneself into a wardrobe. It seemed to still be daylight there. I can always get back if anything goes wrong, thought Lucy. She began to walk forward, crunch, crunch, over the snow and through the wood toward the other light. In about ten minutes, she reached it and found it was a lamp post. As she stood looking at it, wondering why there was a lamp post in the middle of a wood and wondering what to do next, she heard a pitter-patter of feet coming toward her. And soon after that, a very strange person stepped out from among the trees into the light of the lamp post. And off the story goes. <laughs> but I love that. She's a little frightened, very inquisitive and very excited as well. And, you know, I think that one of the things that we learn from this story, and especially uh, Lewis's retelling of it, but one of the themes that we discover is that we're called, as Jesus calls us, to approach his new world, the kingdom of heaven, as a child, in childlike faith, to receive it with the same inquisitiveness, curiosity, uh, with a little bit of fear, we might be a little scared, but with this excitement to explore. And what does Lucy discover? And and as a theme for our own lives, what do we discover as we enter into this new world of God on the other side of the wardrobe? What, is, what does Lucy discover as she enters into this new world? Well, a, a few things I want to highlight As we sort of move along in our virtual book club here, uh, the first, of course, is that there is this whole world adjacent to her own, right? On the other side of the back of this wardrobe that she had no idea was there in the first place. And I think that the same principle applies to our own lives as well, that there is this whole world adjacent to our own sitting right in the midst of our own, which sort of taps into this longing for a reality beyond our own right. Of course, the Gospels speak of this reality as the kingdom of God or of heaven, as we just mentioned before, this, this reign and rule of God that seeks to rescue and recreate to put back together this broken, busted world through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
And now this kingdom is not out there and away from here. No, Jesus speaks of this, this reign of God, this alternative reality residing right here on earth. Of course, Jesus speaks to this when uh, he announced that the time had come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Again, it's through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus that this new reality has broken into our own This reality where the poor in spirit are blessed, the blind receive sight, the oppressed are free, that love casts out fear. Isn't this what we ourselves are longing for in this world, right? This alternative reality for this new recreated world to break into our own, which is, of course, the Christian hope that there is this new world adjacent to our own, uh, similar to this book that Lewis penned that he wrote, the story he told, that there was this whole adjacent world to Lucy and Edmund and and Susan and Peter's own world through the wardrobe, right? Narnia. And the kingdom of God is in our own midst, adjacent to our own world. It's not out there in outer space, this heaven out there in the clouds. No, it's right here in our own midst, inside a wardrobe, And, you know, one of the great misperceptions of Christianity is that we're just waiting to exit. You know, possibly you grew up like I did with this expectation that we were just waiting to exit this world, to to die, to go to heaven uh, in this land in outer space, that that was what we were looking forward to. But, you know, this is actually a bit of a, a heretical view of the hope of Christianity. No, this world is our home. We're not just a passing through. This this popular phrase that maybe you heard growing up, this world is not our home. We're just a passing through is not what the Bible teaches. No, the Bible teaches that this is our home. A new one is breaking inside through uh, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus that we can enter into right now. The kingdom of heaven All right, there is this world on the other side of the wardrobe adjacent to our own that we can push into right now. And eventually when Christ returns, this old world will be recreated into this new world. And of course, uh, the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe taps into this reality of this other world adjacent to our own where Christmas will eventually arrive. But of course, Christmas hasn't yet arrived. Winter is here, and this is one of the other things that Lucy discovers, right? Uh, something that connects to our own reality right now, especially in 2020, that it is winter in Narnia. And I love that phrase that uh, is kind of repeated several different times in the first couple chapters of this book, that uh, it's always winter and never Christmas, Right, This refrain that's echoed throughout these first chapters and various characters. Always winter, never Christmas. What do you suppose this phrase that Lewis is uh, repeating several different times, what do, you, what do you suppose this means? Always winter, never Christmas. Would love to hear your commentary below and in your impressions of this phrase, what it means to you personally, particularly. So it's at the end of chapter four 
that we learn something very interesting about uh, both the White Witch, but also this this phrase that it's always winter, never Christmas. Check this out. Uh, Lucy is uh, having a conversation with Edmund about who the White Witch is, the nature of the White Witch, and she says she is perfectly terrible person. She calls herself the Queen of Narnia, though she has no right to be queen at all. And all the fawns and dryads and naiads and dwarfs and animals, at least all the good ones, simply hate her. And she can turn people into stone and do all kinds of horrible things. And here it is. And she has made a magic so that it is always winter in Narnia. Always winter, but it is never gets to Christmas. And she drives about in a sledge drawn by reindeer with her wand in her hand and a crown on her head. Love this description, not only of the White Witch, but the nature of uh, of the of reality in Narnia. And I want to unpack this a bit because it's, I think, one of the key themes in uh, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe and the series of Lewis in particular. And it, it speaks to our own reality here in our world. This comment, always winter, never Christmas, gets to the heart of our own world, doesn't it? Uh, if there was ever a year that fits this to a T, uh, I would say that 2020 is pretty much spot on with that, isn't it? I mean, it's always winter. Feels like it's been always winter this year, never getting to Christmas right. And this line that it's always winter and never Christmas gets to the heart of our human condition, doesn't it? Because in reality, this world is not the way it's supposed to be. We sort of intuitively know that. Uh, We look around, uh, maybe some of the things that have happened to us, the things that we see going on in the world, the pandemic, for goodness sakes, reminds us. We have these constant reminders that things are not the way they're supposed to be, that this world is not the way it's supposed to be, that it's always winter, never Christmas. And this line, not the way it's supposed to be, was coined by a Christian theologian, Cornelius Plantinga, in a book by the same title, exploring the depths of how sin has affected and infected the world. And, you know, we can look around us and see that this is the case, can't we? Uh, Disease and pandemics, racial injustice, joblessness, and economic inequality, divorce, war, Political oppression and deception, orphans, widows, death itself. Death is not the way it's supposed to be. And, uh, you know, we've all experienced this truth in our own lives in different ways, haven't we? Not only this year, through the chaos of COVID and the economic fallout and everything else going on in 2020, uh, but you know, this truth that this world is not the way it's supposed to be, that it's always winter, never Christmas, has come in the most personal of ways, hasn't it? And I wonder if we could explore a little bit in our own personal lives how you have experienced the truth that this world is not the way it's supposed to be, that it seems to always be winter and never Christmas. How have you yourself experienced this reality? You know, for me, this was driven home uh, seven years ago, three days before Christmas, when I discovered that I had cancer. Uh, Right here, uh, right above my collarbone, I discovered I had a a little lump about the size of a marble and realized that 
didn't feel like it should be there. And so, uh, of course, that Christmas was the worst ever because I was panicking before I could get to the doctor, wondering what on earth was going on. Uh, realized and learned very quickly that Google is probably the, your worst friend, sort of a frenemy <laughs> in those kinds of situations because I jumped on and started Googling things, what it could be, and my mind went into uh, crazy places. But so uh, the, the next couple of days later, I, I got into my doctor and they said, yeah, you know, let's get this looked out. And so the next week got the test done, uh, needle aspiration um, test to, to see what was going on with the lump in my neck. And then the next week, the results came back. Cancer. Papillary thyroid carcinoma, which thyroid cancer is the good kind of cancer and papillary thyroid carcinoma is the good, good kind of the good kind. So there I was. uh Cancer. Never thought it would be me and had surgery to remove the the cancerous thyroid. And now I have no thyroid and live on uh, a pill a day, which thank the the good Lord for science and medication and uh, people who created these things to to keep me alive. Uh, But, you know, my story reminds me every day when I take that pill every morning that this world is not the way it's supposed to be. Cancer was never part of God's design for his creation. Uh, his design for creation for was for me to have a functioning thyroid. Uh, and the same is true for any number of scenarios that any of us have experienced, uh, whether it's the loss of loved ones, other types of illnesses or sicknesses, job loss, work is a good thing. It was part of God's good creation. Uh, divorce, marriage is a good thing, part of good, God's good creation. And, uh, you know, this, this reminder for me with my pill reminds me that it's always winter, never Christmas, that we're one, that we're waiting for Christmas to arrive when Jesus finally puts this broken, busted world back together again. And I wonder if you might Comment below in the the comment section and share some of your own story if you'd want to. Uh, if you feel comfortable, this re, this exploring and uh, sort of giving an example from your own life that uh, of this quotation that Lewis himself explores and this theme that Lewis is, himself explores in the line "The Witch in the Wardrobe," always winter, never Christmas. So the last thing I want to draw your attention to is one of the other things that Lucy discovers and Edmund discovers as well. And that is this reality that she is a daughter of Eve and that Edmund is a son of Adam. And then we did later discover then, of course, that Susan is a daughter of Eve and Peter is a son of Adam. So let me read a bit from page 11 at the start of chapter two. Good evening, said Lucy. But the fawn was so busy picking up its parcels that at first it did not reply. When it had finished, it made her a little bow. Good evening, good evening, said the fawn. Excuse me, I don't want to be inquisitive, but should I be right in thinking that you are a daughter of Eve? My name's Lucy, she said, not quite understanding him. But you are, forgive me, you are what they call a a girl, asked the fawn. Of course I'm a girl, said Lucy. You are in fact human, "'Of course I'm human,' said Lucy, still a little puzzled. "'To be sure, to be sure,' said the fawn. "'How stupid of me. "'But I've never seen a son of Adam or a daughter of Eve before. "'I am delighted!' Love that line, a son of Adam, a daughter of Eve. This is part of the magic of the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe. And what we discover in God's story as well, this realization of who we are 
as uh, sons and daughters of the Creator, right? Of course, Lucy and Edmund, then later Peter and Susan discover that as humans, they are special. They are spectacular. And, and the Bible carries this exact same theme from the very opening pages. Genesis chapter 1, we discover that every human being on the planet is a physical descendant of Adam and Eve. As God's crowning achievement, the Genesis 1 narrative reveals that we are statues of the divine, placed on his earth as representatives of him and his reign. We are royalty, just like Lucy and Edmund, just like Peter and Susan. And we're also spiritually descended from Adam and Eve in that every one of us suffers under the weight of sin and have inherited a sin nature. Now, while we are brilliant, we've been created after God himself in his image and likeness. We are God's crowning achievement. We are brilliant statues of the divine being made in God's image as sons of Adam and daughters of Eve. We also need to remember that we're also bad. Not something that any of us want to necessarily contemplate or consider or dwell on, uh, but that kind of coincides with the the first thing that Lucy discovered was that it's always winter, never Christmas. And we contribute to that winterness in this kind of dual nature reality of our own human nature. We're brilliant, but we're also bad. We're rebels in desperate need of rescue and recreation, which of course we experience through Jesus, who he is and what he has done for us. And as the story moves forward through the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, Lucy and Edmund and Peter and Susan discover not only more about their own identities as royal sons and daughters, but also the nature, the person, the work of Aslan, who he is, what he did for them on their behalf. Which, of course, coincides perfectly (laughs) with the story of Jesus as well, and our own human story, which is why I love The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe so much. So, there you have it, wrapping up week one in our virtual religion and fiction book club. Thanks so much for being a part of this first week. If you have any thoughts on this first session, chapters one through four, would love to hear those down in the comments below. If you noticed anything else, Uh, in the reading, any other themes that I didn't cover, please just drop those in the comment section below. And uh, we'd love to get some interaction between me and you, between each other, ourselves, as we kind of read through these chapters moving forward. And uh, we'll try and make this as much of a real book club as we can during these crazy times, all right? Hey, thanks so much for joining me on the first episode of the Religion and Fiction podcast as well as the first week in my Religion and Fiction book club. Hope you enjoyed it and would love to hear your perspective on the chapters as well as the questions in the show notes. Just leave a comment in the field below and be sure to check back next Wednesday for week two, diving into chapters five through seven.